Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHer Con is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. People have to have staying power. That means they have to be at least well capitalized enough to get through a storm if they believe in their asset and if they paid the right price for it. Some people just pay too much. Welcome to the Best Ever Show, the world's longest running daily commercial real estate podcast. Our hosts interview commercial real estate experts every day to get you the best advice ever with none of the fluffy stuff. Best ever listeners, welcome to the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever Show. I'm your host, Joe Cornwell, and today I'm joined by Vicki Schiff. Vicki is the CEO of a real estate debt company, Avoir. They're based in LA and she's a returning guest on the show. Vicki, how are you? And thank you for joining us today. I'm great. Thanks for having me, Joe. I really appreciate it. So we just talked a little bit about your company and the services that you guys provide. So tell me a little bit more about it, define it and give our audience a gist of some of the things that your company does. Absolutely. So we have a firm called Avrio and a company below that called Avrio Real Estate Credit. It was formed last year in the middle of the year after I had co-founded another firm called Mosaic Real Estate Credit. At Mosaic, we originated about $2.5 billion of real estate credit up and down the capital stack, all the way from first mortgages to construction loans to mezzanine to pref equity. And we sold that company to a public company in 2022. So this is iteration number two of my debt business. And I think today there's a lot of opportunity in the market based on rising interest rates and borrowers at times needing to restructure capital stacks, needing to pay off their construction lenders. If there's a freshly constructed project, most likely they went over budget. So they need some help with taking their construction lender out and just getting more time. We also can invest higher up in the capital stack, meaning we can provide more proceeds to a borrower. And we're very entrepreneurial, so we will look at any kind of asset class with the exception of office today in really any geography that makes sense to us, that has macroeconomic drivers that speak to the viability of the real estate itself over the long run. 
So in a nutshell, that's what we do. We have a website, avriore.com. People can learn a little bit more about what we do on that website, but we're seeing a lot, a lot, a lot of deal flow right now. So it's an exciting time. We had another guest recently that talked a little bit about the, the preferred equity or they called it investing in it. I guess you would call it lending into that section. Can you tell me a little bit more about that specific strategy? Right. So if you think about a capital stack and borrowers could think about it a little bit different, but at the top, you have the first mortgage, right? So within that first mortgage, you can get a loan from a lender like us or a bank. And sometimes the lender will split that loan into two pieces and retain either the senior or the junior piece. So that's a part of the capital stack. You could be the senior or the junior in a first mortgage. Then after that, the next level can be either pref equity or mezzanine. And that piece goes from 60 to perhaps even 85% of loan to cost. So that is junior to the first mortgage and is more aligned with the borrower themselves. They're basically in partnership with the borrower and they're helping that borrower execute the business plan by providing capital. The difference between that and straight equity is either mezzanine or pref equity will be preferred. So it will get paid first prior to the equity, but it also most likely has fixed upside. So there could be a fixed rate, perhaps even a fixed rate with a little bit of upside participation. But if the deal works out the way that the sponsor wants it to, then most of the money will be made by the equity. Does that okay. make and sense? So that's yeah, the way and they're, and they're the at the bottom of that. They're, they're at the bottom yeah, of their capital the stack, right? Okay. You have to think about a borrower could get crushed by their lender. So they're always sitting on the bottom, whereas a lot of borrowers like to think of themselves at the top. But when you're a lender, you think about it in the opposite direction. And the opportunity there is just really to support borrowers that need additional capital to get through business plans. And that is happening a lot right now based on the slowdown of leasing, perhaps some reversal of leasing rates or increases, and certainly the increase in interest rates for borrowers that are on floating rate debt or floating rate loans has really slowed down the business plans of a lot of operators around the country in all asset classes. So that's what we're here to help with. Okay. So I guess maybe to help the audience understand, give me some examples of the right type of deal maybe where a borrower would come in and work with your company. Right. We were working on something earlier this year, well, actually later last year, that was a freshly built multifamily asset in a very, very urban market, very dense market, hard to build in. The construction loan was due. So the contract, the bank, which was a bank loan, they wanted to get paid back. The borrower went over budget by about 12% and that borrower had investors. So in order to satisfy that bank, to have that bank extend the loan and reduce its loan amount, because now the asset was worth less, because the cap rate rose in the market, that borrower had to bring in mezzanine. They needed about five or $6 million of mezzanine to sit behind the construction lender to make that, to allow that construction lender to extend the loan. 
and then that mezzanine would be senior to the existing equity. So that is a prime example of where a deal's just capital starved. They need to bring somebody in, but that new capital wants to be senior to the existing equity holders. And what that does for the borrower, it gets them through a period of time where they can lease up their asset, get it to stabilization, and then go out and get a cheaper agency fixed rate loan. Okay. If the asset was already eligible for a fixed rate loan, they would just take that because it's cheaper and it's less hassle, but it wasn't ready yet. I see. So that makes sense. I'm wrapping my head around some of these situations, investors, syndicators, funds, whoever's putting these deals together could be in, in today's market. As you mentioned, some of those factors causing the opportunities for your company and the deal itself fundamentally is still good. All the underwriting, the potential of it is still there. But as you mentioned, you're just trying to get them from A to B, so to speak, with the capital. Because otherwise, obviously, no one's going to want to potentially put capital into a sinking ship, let's say. But in this case, the deal fundamentals are strong, but it still has a ways to go for whatever reason to get to the finish line. Yeah, we want to see a path for our borrowers and our partners to make money. We want them to win as well. And sometimes they just need more time. The other situation we're seeing every day is requests for construction loans. There is just a really deep lack of construction capital in the marketplace right now. So we're seeing requests every single day for construction loans for multifamily, for example, or hotels. And we look at a lot of them. Obviously, there's a lot more moving parts to doing a construction loan than to lend on something that's either freshly built or needs to be restructured as far as the capital stack. And the construction loan itself, the total project costs have to make sense. So that builder has to be building to a return on cost or a cap rate that's higher than it was two years ago because cap rates have gone up. The takeout on that construction loan is going to be more expensive than it used to be. So a lot of those deals don't make sense. We look at them, they're so thin, and we don't see a way to get out to have the right debt yield on the way out so that another lender can take us out. But the banks and other debt funds and other lenders have pulled way back on construction. Okay. And I know in the intro, you talked a lot about how the market changed, obviously, the last couple of years and some of the opportunities you're seeing. What are your thoughts on the market as a whole, meaning commercial or investment real estate? Where are we at today and where do you think we're headed in the next six to 12 months? Well, I teach real estate finance class at Pepperdine and we were having a discussion with my class yesterday and... I asked the class, what's one of the most important things to consider when you're looking at investing in real estate? And I waited and they thought a while and one guy after a few minutes said interest rates and I said, bingo, what's happening in the market today? The person said, well, interest rates are high. I go, well, they're not high. Historically, they're high compared to a three cap someone paid a year and a half ago or two years ago for a multifamily asset. So it's not that they're high, it's that they're too high for the prices that people paid for assets. And I think within your ecosystem, you have a lot of multifamily and self-storage syndicators who perhaps bought things on floating rate loans that now their debt coverage ratio used to be one, two, when their interest rate was four and a half. And now it's not even one, one. 
when the interest rates have now gone to six or seven and their interest payment has gone up by 50 to 100 percent. Now they're not even covering their interest. What's the banks, what's the lender telling them? You're out of a covenant. Pay us down or pay us off. So that is something that's happening in the market right now. That's a really important thing to focus on. We all know the office story. Office is worth 50 to 70% less for certain assets than it used to be because of the supply demand. There's still demand for multifamily. On the construction front, a lot of assets that got approved and in the ground a couple of years ago are going to be delivering in the next 12 to 24 months. So in the short run, we're going to have an oversupply of multifamily, which creates a lot more competition, even with the older products against the newer products, because newer products, they want to get filled up so they can refinance. But eventually, there'll be a lag in new construction, so we'll be undersupplied again. With respect to industrial, that's slowing down a little bit as well. And hotels are have and have not. So it just depends on what markets, what asset classes, the age of the property, how it's structured from a capital standpoint. If somebody has a fixed rate loan for a long period of time, they're good. That's a very different situation that if someone has a floating rate loan and they bought an asset at a three cap, hoping it to add value to get it to a five and sell it at a four, they're not generally going to sell it at a four anymore. Does that make sense, Joe, the way I explained it? I'm trying to not be overly complex, but just trying to figure some of the situations I've seen out in the market. Yeah, that's great. So back to the comment you made about the market-specific oversupply issue, because I've heard some concerns from other guests we've had. And I'm in the Midwest, so I'm based in Southwest Ohio, Cincinnati metro market. And we've had almost no new to construction, you know? There's a couple of projects citywide and the suburbs are not allowing any multifamily development of any kind, basically in the entire greater tri-state area. So it's interesting when I hear that comment, obviously you did mention it's market specific, but do you think that's going to be something that's a local phenomenon or are your concerns more broad with the national market? I think the real estate question is local. I think you have to look at specific markets and say how much supply and demand is there in that market and how long does that market take to absorb based on migration patterns, based on job creation and other things. And certainly the economy, people, when they can't afford an apartment rent, they'll just double up. They'll move back in with their parents. Sometimes, unfortunately, they have to find public housing or some alternatives, or we have a massive homeless problem in this country, obviously. So We all know about that, but I think it is a very, very local question, but I don't have the stats in front of me, but I'm looking right now at an email I just got from Alan Mackins, which is a big law firm, and the headline is, the industrial sector is going to be a mixed picture over the next three years while development activity remains strong. Supply is expected to grow faster than demand, signaling the new development will eventually begin to cool. So that's actually what I would say for multifamily as well. I think demand will level off, build back up again in the future. Supply will start to level off based on the fact that there's very few new housing starts. And in the multifamily space, a new cycle will begin. But people have to have staying power. That means they have to be at least well-capitalized enough 
to get through a storm if they believe in their asset and if they paid the right price for it. Some people just pay too much. We'll get back to the show with a first some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. Do you want to do bigger and better commercial real estate deals? Take your real estate capital raising efforts to new heights with syndicationattorneys.com. With more than 20 years of real estate and investing experience, syndicationattorneys.com goes beyond just creating legal documents. They educate you on ethical and legal capital raising strategies. Plus, they offer a host of free resources, including their best-selling capital raising books, numerous articles, and their popular podcast, Raise Private Money Legally. At syndicationattorneys.com, they do more so you can do more, more deals, bigger deals, and better deals. So if you want attorneys with premier experience helping syndicators and fund managers raise capital, go to syndicationattorneys.com today to schedule an appointment and unlock your maximum capital raising potential today at syndicationattorneys.com. This offer is not available to Florida residents. So for those people, let's say in those worst case scenarios, what is the end game for them? And I'll preface that question by saying that we haven't seen the big run of foreclosures that everyone predicted in the last two years. We haven't seen a ton of desperate, motivated sellers selling for pennies on the dollar, just trying to get out of deals. At least what I've seen in the Midwest, that whole prediction that a lot of people had flooding the market with inventory hasn't came to fruition. So what are your thoughts on that? And what are those worst case scenarios going to do here in the next year or two? Well, you've seen it in office. You have seen the pennies on the dollar from even the biggest private equity firms in the world saying, take my building back. You've seen it in that sector. That's a supply and demand issue. What I'm seeing is situations where lenders have made an initial loan of, let's say, 70% of value. Now their loan, if they reappraise the asset, looks like it's more like 80% of value. And perhaps they'll put a little pref equity in to keep that asset going. Now the owner owns really nothing. They're getting a little bit of a management fee. They're trying to retain some upside in the form of a hope note, meaning I hope my value goes up and save some of my investors. And those things are being played out a little more quietly than a big rush of foreclosures hitting the street because lenders still see that there is some value. They might be in the asset now, though, for 100% instead of 65%. So they're going to either say to the borrower, sell the asset, or we're kind of now the owner. You can manage it. You can stay in there, but we own the asset. You owe us $100 million and the property's worth $101 million. And then it just becomes a situation where the borrower is working for free. And that's happening more than the big wave of assets getting dumped into the market. So there's a lot of recaps going on. A lot of people out there looking for capital to bring in to allow their asset to survive over time. There's obviously some news articles that have come out in the last week or so and have been coming out about some of the bigger syndicators that are having major issues. And I won't name names, but I'm sure you've read about some of those. So reading into those articles, you can see that Lenders are putting a little bit more money in, but lender is now the owner of the property. Now they're the owner. Yeah, that makes sense. Are there any specific markets that you are most interested in when you look at doing these type of loans? 
Are there states maybe you don't want to invest in? I assume you guys are investing just in the U.S. Or are you international? Just the U.S. Okay. It's very market specific. You have to look at the risks within each market. Some markets sound like they have great political structures and are super business friendly, but they're simply not that dense. They don't have the advantage of population. Some markets have the advantage of population, but they have draconian rent control laws that are really hurting owners and developers. Or in Los Angeles, for example, it was voted upon. I think it was under 55%. It got passed. We have an idiotic new transfer tax called ULA. It's ridiculous. So that anybody that sells a property over, there's two breakpoints, 5 million and 10 million, has to pay a new transfer tax. There was a transfer tax before of something, but the new transfer tax is 5%. So all the assets just dropped in value by 5%. And if a lender forecloses on an asset transfer its title to themselves, they also have to pay that 5%. That's crazy. But LA is undersupplied and there's 10 million people that live in LA County. So we can think about all these awful things that happen in LA, but your property is most likely going to be full. Whereas in some other markets, you could be facing a situation where there's competition and too much supply for the demand that's there. So, you know, there's trade-offs and you have to underwrite for that risk. So if I'm going to underwrite an asset in LA, I'm going to underwrite that 5% transfer tax as a contingency in the worst case scenario. If I had to own that asset, would it still be worth it for me to own that asset and pay the 5% transfer tax? Now, there's lawsuits against it. Hopefully, it'll get overturned at some point. But that's a lens that I need to look through as a lender because I'm not at the bottom of the capital stack. I'm at the top of the capital stack or perhaps somewhere in the middle. So I need to make sure that my basis is justifiable over time. Because I don't have upside generally. I just want to get paid back. And my last question on your business in general is, of all of those different types of debt, all those different types of services and options, what is it that you personally like to do? What types of deals do you like to uh, loan into? Well, we're not doing as much anymore, but in my last firm, we did a lot of construction lending. And I am so proud when I walk through an asset that we had a big part of making happen. So one of my favorite assets is we were the construction lender on a project in Park City at the base of the mountain in the canyons called Pendry, which is part of the Montage brand. And I'm there all the time. And it's so wonderful to see people skiing and enjoying themselves and families there and listening to music outside and thinking to myself, I had a big part in my last firm and everybody that worked there had a big part in making this happen. And that's really, really cool. In contrast to that, anything that I can do to support middle income housing, where you're providing the workforce, the, the middle income family with a safe secure place to live and be able to go to work and have a safe place to raise their children. That's also super satisfying. So those are two ends of the spectrum. One is a little bit more luxury oriented and the other is just making sure that people have safe place to live. And we look at how an operator operates an asset, what their philosophy is, how they take care of their tenants, we expect the tenants to pay the rent because that's how we get paid back. But 
at the same time, you want to give people a good product for what they're paying for. So I think those are things that are, are important to me personally. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I have a construction background. I own a construction business. And definitely one of the most rewarding parts of that process is seeing a project go from A to Z and knowing that you built this or you provided whatever amenity or residence for somebody is definitely a rewarding part of the business. Yeah, you're a creator, right? So, so much fun. So I heard a rumor that you would be a presenter at the Best Ever Conference coming up here in April in Salt Lake City. Is that yeah. true? Yeah, it is true. And I was there a couple of years ago. It was a blast. Very cool. Can you give us a little sneak peek as to what you will be talking about this year? Oh, I might have some charts. <laughs> okay. All right. I might have some charts on what's going on in the market and some interest rates and maybe a little bit of personal stories about challenges and getting through challenging times. So something like that. I'm putting it together. I love talking to people on stage. It's like one of my favorite things to do. I get to meet so many amazing people and the crowd at Best Ever is incredible, energetic, passionate, and I'm really looking forward to spending time with everybody there. Well, I will be a first time attendee as one of the new hosts and I'm looking forward to it. So looking forward to seeing your presentation when we get there. Great. Well, I look forward to meeting you in person. Alrighty, ready to transition to the best ever lightning round? Absolutely. Best ever book recommendation. Okay, last time I said Black Obelisk. This time I'm going to say San Francisco by a new friend of mine, Michael Schellenberger, who ran for governor of California. And the subline of the book is Why Progressives Ruin Cities. I'm a Democrat, so... He really talks about how the overly compassionate policies hurt people. And it's sort of likened to when you don't give your own child guidelines and let them run wild, your house is not going to be in order. So amazing amount of research, decades of data, and I just recommend every real estate person read this book. Give me the best ever way you like to give back. I mentor younger women in my industry, particularly some of those that work for larger companies. I want to see more women leaders in the industry. I have tutored second and third graders online in a tutoring program that a friend of mine runs. And I love teaching about the very basic, basic, basics of financial literacy, particularly the magic of compounding interest to kids. If everybody saved a little bit of money, and that's why people invest in real estate, right, for the compounding interest, then we'd have a much more secure society. Yeah, couldn't agree more. That's a passion of mine as well. Where can people learn more about your business or connect with you? You can connect with me on LinkedIn under my name, Vicki Schiff. And my website is avrioreavrioreo.com. And please check it out and happy to connect with any of your listeners. And I really appreciate the time. We'll be sure to link to that in the show notes as well as your previous episode. Vicki, thank you so much for joining us and sharing your business and all the uh, insights on the debt and the real estate market. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Best ever listeners. Well, thank you for turning in. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to leave us a five-star review and share this with someone you think could benefit from it. Remember to follow and subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss anything. Thank you for listening. Have a best ever day.
Hi, Best Ever listeners. Joe Fairless here again. And one last thing before you go, would you like to receive a short weekly email with proven tips from experienced investors, free tools and resources, and a roundup of the week's most relevant news and Best Ever content? Well, if so, join the community of nearly 15,000 commercial real estate passive and active investors who receive the Best Ever newsletter. Just go to bestevercre.com forward slash access and you'll get the very next one. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And as always, thank you for listening and have a best ever day.